0: We've almost made it, right? The culmination of one of the greatest achievements in podcasting. 100 episodes. Um, more like probably a cry for attention than a great accomplishment, but whatever, we're here. We're doing it. Um, on the eve of the 100th episode of Our Weird World, we're doing an episode about sports, a couple of stories from the sporting world that are just silly and crazy and something that you may not have heard before. Uh, Generally, sports doesn't tend to fit in the topic realms of this podcast. I mean, this is not exactly the most specific podcast. I mean, we cover true crime. We we cover war stories. We cover uh, serial killers and ghosts and Paranormal stuff and uh, just all kinds of stuff. Everything, though, that would fall under the umbrella of weird or just interesting things that you probably did not hear about in history class at any point in your life. So that's why sports has not really figured prominently uh, in this series, even though I really like sports. Uh, I really, really like one of the sports uh, that we're covering today. Uh, But, you know, it is what it is. And that's okay. Not everything has to uh, be shoved and fit into the uh, sort of mold that that you prefer. Like, you can have some things on the outside looking in, and that's okay. That's okay. We're all unique and individual, and we have our own things that we like, and that's fine. All right? I don't know where I'm going with this, so let's start the show. Our Weird Welcome to our weird world. I'm your host John Henson, and this week looking at two stories uh, from the sports world. Probably going to be a little bit shorter of an episode this week, but what? Like, this is free. Who cares? Um, <laughs> if you want to donate because you like the show so much, great. Like, hit me up. I'll give you my Venmo or something. But um, no, I, I do this for free. I do it because I create things, and this is just how I express myself, I guess, I don't know, Um, don't drink soda before we record an episode, I've done 98 episodes, still have not figured that out, (sighs) anyway, uh, two stories today, we're looking at the story of this 1904 Summer Olympic Games, which were held in St. Louis, Missouri, and then we are looking at the story of Jocko Flacco, All right, nothing else really to say about it, so let's jump into story time. Louis, Missouri, used to be just a really important city for some reason. Now, they have the Arch and the original Budweiser factory, plant, brewery, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's it's not a great place now. Um, I mean, look, I don't mind it as a city. I wouldn't stay there for more than a couple of days. But it's an okay city. It's a n- neat little place. I give it credit. Um, but it's... It's not what it used to be. And in 1904, St. Louis was actually the host of the Summer Olympic Games, which actually marked the first time that the Olympic Games were held in the United States. Fun little piece of trivia there. Wasn't New York. Wasn't any of the other prominent cities on the East Coast. It was St. Louis in the middle of the country. Um, And since it was a first for the United States, no one here really knew how to hold uh an olympic event and because of that everything was a dumpster fire um it started when the games were originally supposed to actually be held in chicago which makes more sense chicago is and always has been uh a very important city very prominent city constantly booming huge population center but uh st louis was actually hosting the world's fair at the same time and actually threatened to hold their own better version of the Olympics if they weren't just outright granted the privilege of hosting them. And so, President Roosevelt, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, he supported St. Louis. He's like, yeah, that's that's they they got good logic. Uh, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't know which one to attend whether between the World's Fair, which look, side note, like the World's Fair used to be a big deal. Like that's where they used to unveil all the newest technologies and show off all the great things that had been invented. Now, every company just has their own press conference and it's not, you know, it's just not a thing anymore. Um, I I think the World's Fair is still actually a thing. It's just, it's not as, it's not as big of a deal as it used to be. Um, And so (laughs) Teddy Roosevelt's just like, well, you know, if I'm, if I'm choosing between going to the Olympics and watching a bunch of sports that I don't care about personally, or going to the world's fair and seeing a bunch of cool stuff on top of them also holding a similar version of the Olympics, I mean, I'm probably going to go there. And so IOC president Pierre de Coubertin uh, reluctantly agreed to then move the games from Chicago to St. Louis, um, The opening ceremony was held on July 1st, 1904, which was also kind of a problem since the Olympic Games weren't supposed to start until August 29th and only last for a week. Um, Instead, organizers of the St. Louis uh, Olympics uh, stretched out 94 events over a period of four months, with the Games finally coming to a close on November 23rd. And oh boy, what a series of events these were, um, out of 651 athletes who arrived for the games, 526 of them competed for the United States. It might as well have just been the United States games. Um, even more over half of the events were just American athletes. So like, yeah, it really should have just been like the, the United States games. Like there's no reason this should have ever been considered the Olympics. Um, the United States won 239 medals that summer and the next closest country was Germany who had 13 Canada, uh, who had the easiest travel r- uh, route of any other country to get to the games should have had an advantage, but they only won six medals, um, on the bright side. All right. There was George Eisert, who won as many medals as the entire country of Canada. So he won six, um, But his games actually started really poorly. He finished 10th, 71st, and last during his first events. But George then redeemed himself on October 29th when he won gold medals in the parallel bars, the rope climb, which why isn't that still an event? Um, I think probably because we have actual rock climbing now in the Olympics. Anyway, um, and and he won gold in the vault. He also won silver on the side horse and the individual all around, and then he won bronze on the horizontal bar. Uh, Not to mention that he did this while he was wearing a prosthetic woman wooden leg, which he had to wear after losing his actual leg as a child when a train ran over it because the Paralympic Games were not a thing yet because no one cared about disabled people. Uh, they kind of took, took the attitude of, well, if you want to be treated like the rest of us, we're going to totally do that and not give you your own special Olympics. Can't call them special Olympics. Let's what do we call them? Uh (laughs) anyway, um, but for all those good things, there was also the men's marathon, um, on August 30th, two months after the games had already started. 32 athletes from four different nations gathered at the starting line for the 24.85 mile foot race. Um, That was the last thing that went right. Just getting everybody at the starting line was the only thing that went right. Um, The race began in the afternoon hours when the temperature was well over 90 degrees because that's just how how August is in Missouri, as is most places in the United States. Um, marathons are usually started in the morning to avoid this sort of problem with heat and humidity, but the organizers, they didn't care. Um, and although the race was to begin inside to begin and end inside of the Olympic stadium in St. Louis, the rest of the course just traveled along random dirt roads in the Missouri countryside and, You know, as they do now, race officials rode along the course with the with the competitors in vehicles, um, both ahead and behind the runners. But thanks to the wonderful infrastructure at the time and them running on dirt roads, those vehicles were kicking up large amounts of dust and creating all kinds of breathing problems for the runners. Uh, even worse, officials totally forgot to set up water stations along the way, and the only source of water on the entire course was a, a well that was 11 miles into the course that they had set up. Um, <clears throat> the first competitor competitor to arrive at the finish line was American Fred Lors. The problem was that he arrived way ahead of everyone, and that's because uh, he had just dropped out of the race nine miles in and just hitched a ride back to the stadium uh even more the car he was actually riding in broke down at the 19th mile of the course so Lors just decided to re-enter the race and finish running the remaining 5 miles and just try to like convince everyone that he had totally just run the entire race um instead of immediately telling race officials what he had done Lors even met uh let alice roosevelt who was daughter of president theodore roosevelt take a photograph with him celebrate the win they did the whole thing um but prior to the medal ceremony, Lors finally admitted what had happened and that, you know, he was just kind of kidding about being the winner. Hey, got you guys. Hey, <laughs> big joke, huh? Um, the Amateur Athletic Union then banned Lors from competition for life, but they just kind of rescinded the ban the next year, probably because of what happened next. Um, The actual winner was Thomas Hicks, who was a British runner that was competing for the United States. Um, but even he had help finishing with – 10 miles left to run, Hicks had built up uh, a one and a half mile lead, which that's pretty impressive. Um, However, thanks to the heat and the lack of water, his body began to pretty much die. He just began to die. And his trainers had to jump out of the vehicles and assist him the rest of the way. Um, And this is crazy how they thought they could help him. They, They began by mixing small doses of rat poison with brandy to stimulate his nervous system. And that only caused Hicks to start wildly hallucinating. Um, and by the time that he actually ended up reaching the finish line, he was being carried by his trainers while his legs pedaled through the air as if he was still running. You ever see like those videos of people who like hold their pets above water and their legs are just kind of like they're swimming. That's what this dude was doing. He was full on doggy paddling it in the air while his trainers carried him across the line. Um, The Olympic officials who were clearly tired and over it at this point decided to recognize Hicks as the winner anyway, even though he did not physically run the entire race uh, and they awarded him the gold medal Uh, of the 32 Olympians who began the race, only 14 of them finished. Uh, William Garcia from San Francisco was found lying in the middle of the road after breathing in too much dust from the safety cars traveling with the runners. Uh, Lin Tao from the Tuswana region in Africa, who was the betting favorite coming in because obviously he's African. That running is the thing that they do best. Um, he ended up in ninth place after getting chased a mile off of course by a pack of aggressive dogs. Um... <laughs> That's so funny to me. Um, If there was one bright spot in this event, it belonged to Andarin Carvajal, who was a Cuban postal worker who had just arrived in St. Louis after losing all of his money gambling in New Orleans. Uh, He entered the race. Like, he just showed up to St. Louis and entered the race because I guess just anyone could do that back then. Uh, And he was still wearing his street clothes. Like, he didn't actually have workout gear with him. Um, Along the way, he stopped in an apple orchard for a snack because he had not eaten in over uh, 40 hours, not 20, 40 hours since he had last eaten something. And he just shows up and he's just going to enter a 25-mile race. Um, The problem, though, was that the apples that he ate were rotten and that forced him to spend a portion of the race writhing in pain from severe stomach cramps. And despite all of that, he still finished 4th. That's how bad this, this whole event was. Um, and so that's, you know, the other events, you know, they kind of happened and, and did their thing, but yeah, the, the specifically the men's marathon in the 1904 summer Olympics was just a gigantic dumpster fire. Um, our second story here takes us to the world of NASCAR. All right. Now look, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Don't, don't turn off the episode. All right. I get it. Most of you out there, who think that you are just so much better than most others. Talking about, oh, NASCAR, they just turn left all the time. They're just going in circles. Yeah, you don't understand. All right, look, I get it. All right, the general core of NASCAR's fan base is a bunch of toothless, dirtfoot, racist yokels who spend their entire life savings on a camping pass to go to a NASCAR race. I get it. There's a lot of light beer. There's a lot of camo. There's still a lot of Confederate flags, even though NASCAR banned them because you're getting rid of their heritage or yeah, whatever. Who cares? All right. I get that. I get that the, the fans are what give NASCAR its reputation. Totally get that. All right. But I really love NASCAR. All right. And I know what you're thinking like well John you're you're educated you have a master's degree in English you've written over 20 books and you do this podcast and you speak so eloquently for the most part how can you enjoy such a simplistic exhibition such as NASCAR and It's because NASCAR is so much more than cars driving in circles. There's so much science, engineering, physics, um, strategy that goes involved. I mean, just the tiniest, tiniest little adjustment can make your car go so much faster. And that's insane to me. And have you ever been to a race and hearing those cars go around and just feeling your entire chest shake as they go by? It's crazy. It's awesome. And maybe I just like those kinds of things. All right. If it's not for you, that's fine. Guess what, though? Look at the TV ratings. All right. Behind the NFL, NASCAR is the most watched sport in the United States. So I don't know what to tell you. Like. The people who there there are probably more people who enjoy NASCAR than you think, um, and yeah, I you know it's great. It is a great, great sport. Um, this story, however, does not help my argument at all. It doesn't. Um, and we go to uh, nineteen fifty three with Tim Flock, who was the uh, Grand National Points Champion, the defending Grand National Points Champion um in just the fourth year of nascar's official existence um the 1953 season however was not going as well as he had hoped and his sponsor and his car owner ted chester were trying to figure out how to do something different to turn things around to win more races and and do whatever they could possibly do but rather than like upgrade the car's parts or put a new paint scheme on the car, something to just freshen things up. Chester went down to a pet shop in Atlanta and found Jocko, a rhesus monkey, and immediately thought it would be a great idea to just throw a wild monkey into the car with Flock as he raced. Uh, When Ted arrived at the garage with Jocko on his shoulder and announced his plan to do that, uh, the entire crew thought he was crazy as they should. Um, Ted, though, he's just like, come on, guys. It'll be fine. We'll build a little seat for him. We'll give him a little helmet and his own little uniform, and we'll just put him in a race car with you, and it'll be fun, and all the fans are going to love it. Um, Tim Flock, uh, he wasn't super excited about it, but because Chester was the boss, he relented. Um, he did tell Chester he thought he was crazy and that NASCAR wasn't going to let them do that. And Chester... He was just like, well, NASCAR's not going to know about it Un- until it's too late, I guess, because he he wasn't going to tell NASCAR because he knew NASCAR wasn't going to be like, yeah, sure, throw a monkey in a loud car going over 100 miles an hour. That's what could go wrong? Um, but look, that's the sort of reckless marketing that made NASCAR what it is today. Um, and so on April 5th, 1953, uh, Flock and Jocko strapped in at the Charlotte speedway and they qualified first. So they started on the pole. Um, and as the field drove into the first turn, the driver to Tim flocks, right? Looked over, saw the monkey and freaked out and nearly wrecked his car. Um, but flock ended up leading over half the race, but he ended up finishing fourth that day. But for, for all intents and purposes, like it seemed like it was working really well. It's like one of his best finishes all year. Um when the race was over, fans flocked over to Flock's car. See what I did there. Um to see the monkey and feed him peanuts. And look, NASCAR, who, to their credit, always welcomes fun and interesting PR like that. They decided to let Jocko keep racing in the car with with Flock. And Flock then went on to finish sixth in Macon, Georgia, fifth in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, and second in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, On May 16th, Flock and Jocko actually won their first race together at Hickory Speedway in Hickory, North Carolina, uh, which made Jocko the first and so far only non-human to win a NASCAR race. Um, by then flock had actually had Jocko Flacco painted on the passenger side above the window where little, little Flacco, uh, little Jocko was sitting and everyone was well aware that there was a monkey inside that race car. Um, unfortunately though, things kind of started going downhill. Um, after finishing 32nd in Martinsville, Virginia, and then 22nd in Columbus, Ohio, Uh, flock arrived at the Raleigh speedway in Raleigh, North Carolina for the inaugural Raleigh 300 on May 30th. Uh, as flock ran in second place behind his brother, Fonty, fun name. Um, Jocko got out of his harness. This is the first time that had happened. No one had prepared for this moment. Um, and Jocko to his credit, like monkeys, they're really smart. He had been watching all season whenever, uh, flock would come into the pits and watch as the crew would lean in and open a small hatch on the floorboard to look at the wear on the right front tire. And while Flock was racing around the track in Raleigh, Jocko crawled down, opened the hatch, and looked inside. And, you know, you know how monkeys do. Like, he's not just, like, keeping his head back and looking at it. Look, he's sticking his whole face down in that hatch. And when the tire grazed Jocko's face, he understandably lost his mind. He began bouncing all around the, the inside of the car, jumping from one side to the other. And he eventually landed on Flock's back and dug his claws in through his fire suit. Um, luckily, I mean, somehow Flock didn't wreck. He swerved into the pits and like, grabbed the monkey and just handed him off to one of the pit crew members. Uh, Flock went on to finish third in that race, but it was the end of Jocko Flocko's racing career and the, uh, hopes and dreams of animals everywhere who wanted to get into NASCAR. Fun stories, right? See, sports can be fun. I know a lot of people don't like sports, um, but. Also, I think those people are in the minority. I think sports are generally well-liked among most people. Um, But whether you like sports or not, I think those were two fun little stories. Uh, Hopefully I didn't complicate the sporting language so that people were left confused, I think is pretty straightforward. Um, But yeah, let's see what we learned today. (laughs) ¶¶ What did we learn? Number one, St. Louis, Missouri hosted the 1904 Summer Olympic Games, even though Chicago was supposed to. But then St. Louis was just like, no, we're going to do our own if we don't get them. Because we're having a World's fair. And if you don't give us the Olympics, we're just going to do our Olympics on. And probably would have ended up the same, just as much of a disaster anyway. Uh, Number two, don't start a marathon at the end of August at the hottest part of the day. It's not going to go well, right? Uh, And number three, there's a very specific reason why NASCAR does not allow pets inside race cars, and uh, Jocko Flacco is probably that reason. Next week on Our Weird World, it is finally here. Our 100th Episode. Um, I have said it before, but in case you forgot, I am going to get so just sloppy drunk (laughs) and try to record this episode. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. I've already got the spread out uh, because, look, I'm going to be honest with you. uh, I'm about to record it here in a couple of hours. I just want to get out ahead, record ahead as I have always done. Um, And it is a very intimidating spread. All right, because here's what we're going to do. I have a 32-ounce gigantic glass mug. Um, I think uh, it's otherwise known as a beer stein. Um, But I have 10 different liquors (laughs) (laughs) that I am going to mix in. And I just, I heard a collective, (laughs) oh, it's going to be great. It is going to be, a hoot, and a half. Um, yeah, six different liquors, four more liqueurs, uh, and we're going to make just a donkey juice suicide, man. Um, and then I'm going to sh- come up here after it has had some time to settle, and we'll going to try to record an episode, and we're going to see how it goes. So uh, I will share, or at least try to share, the actual recipe with you next week. Um, yeah, I... I don't know what to expect, but uh, we will be telling the story of cult leader Yahweh Ben Yahweh. Um, So (laughs) uh, I'm going to have fun doing this one. I don't know what to expect. I, 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 yeah, it could either be the greatest episode I ever record, or it is going to be more of a dumpster fire than the Olympics that we discussed, but we shall see. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are looking forward to it. Uh, And so that'll be coming at you next week for Valentine's Day. So there you go. Uh, Thank you all for listening as always. Keep telling all of your friends and keep it weird. (laughs)